You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Round two, Flyboy. Chains? You're funny. We won't stop him. He's pissed off. We have to talk to him. Talk to him? Welcome, everyone, to the 602 Club. I am your host, Matthew Rushing, and I have with me what I like to consider is Batman to my Superman, the one and only John Mills. How's it going, John? <laughs> I'm just digging that uh, that comparison because in several timelines, that means I get to kick your butt just on principle. And in several timelines, that means I get to kick your butt. Yeah, but you always cheat because you got like that superpower thing. That's You know what? That's not true because I was just reading an article today <laughs> on yeah. uh, oh, comic book resources or one of those places, and they were talking about the 15 times that Batman pretty much got pwned and how embarrassing it was. Uh-huh. And they were talking about uh, the one time that Superman thought Batman was Brainiac and didn't hold back and just annihilated him, just destroyed him very quickly. So it just showed that if Superman <laughs> really let go, Batman has absolutely no chance. Um, that does not uh, coincide with my conclusions. Therefore, I regard it as um, not not uh, not admissible in court. I, objection, also, Your Honor. It's, we're going to be talking about uh, the animated film Justice League War because we kind of thought it would be fun to talk about this in light of the fact that Justice League is coming and we had such a great time talking about uh, Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. I thought, you know, we might as well do this. So, uh, But by the way, watching some of the extras, Jim Lee and the director of this movie were talking about some of the scenes throughout here. And uh, they both talked about how and and Jim's version for him at Superman is is very much somebody who could own Superman. That's what he said. He's like he he's way above and beyond anything that we are. No matter how cool Batman is sure. or how prepared he is. Oh yeah. So uh, yeah, we're just teasing each other. But yeah, no, I'm no, no, to totally. Do- I mean, you've got a guy that his superpower is um, invincibility is one of the things. I mean, it's like I you know. I if you know Sherlock Holmes versus Moriarty is a very very different thing if Moriarty's invincible. Mm-hmm. You know like that's just This is true. <laughs> this is true. And people forget that Superman is not just all brawn. He is he's got a brains too. So He does. You know. He does. Yeah, I mean, uh, people forget that, but you know, uh the good comic book writers don't. And so, uh I'm ex- I'm yeah, I'm really excited to dive into this with you. Um before we do, I just want to remind everybody, you know, all the shows here on Trek FM including the 602 Club, you can find all over the place. Where wherever you get your podcasts, 
But uh, if you're over on Apple Podcasts, we're a featured provider there, and I, I really want to encourage everyone, go over there and uh, give us a star rating and review. Helps people find the show. It makes it easier for people who are searching for podcasts to have the 602 Club pop up when they're searching, the more reviews we get. And, uh, you know, we've got a, some great reviews out there. And uh, it's been a while, though, since we've had some new ones. So hit us up, and, and I'll definitely, whatever review you leave, whatever star rating you leave, will um, say thank you to you on the show if you do. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at TrekFM. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM. We have our listeners-only discussion group on Facebook. You can find that by typing Babel into the search field because the name of the conference is the Babel Conference. And if you're on our website at trek.fm, you can hit discussion on any of the mini bars, and that will also bring you over to our special listeners-only group. And last but not least, if you would like to send us an email, you can go over to trek.fm slash contact, choose a show, choose the 602 Club, and that'll come to me and any hosts from that week. And so, John, uh, this movie is, you know, all the DC movies uh, that they do animated-wise are usually based on some kind of comic book run that they've done. And so this one is the first six issues of Justice League that began the New 52. And the New 52, uh, forgive me if you know, but if you don't know, is kind of the time frame where they pretty much reboot the entire universe. They they started off fresh, and these first six issues created um, what they called the origin storyline, or as they call here, the, the movie is War. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wanted to ask you, I know you didn't read a lot of the New 52 or anything. No, I, I didn't. So, I, just a couple of the Batman issues. Right. Uh, which I got to say, you know, um, the run of Batman throughout this uh, series, the New 52, is incredible. I mean, it gave us the Court of Owls. Yeah, I mean, there, there were there were a lot of good aspects to it. I didn't care for the way that they ended it. It was um, somewhat a little bit more bizarre than I would have liked, but um, there were some good things. Very, uh, uh, I feel like uh, Grant Morrison-ish in, in its no, yeah. ending. Okay. Yeah, I, but it also I, I, had year one uh, for Batman. It had a lot of really, I mean, honestly, the New 52 had some incredible stuff. In fact, the Wonder Woman run, too, issues one through 35, is just phenomenal. You know, uh, I, I so. wish I had read it because you, you've you've mentioned that before, that it's really good. But yeah, I mean, you know, hmm. more to, Hmm, More to the point. What should I get for John for Christmas? (laughs) Hmm. Uh, So, yes. If it's not a laser death ray, come on, don't bother. Um, (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) But, um, so, I I was interested to hear your thoughts on this because you were somebody who hasn't read a lot of the New 52, and so this is kind of an interesting introduction to the characters who enter in a kind of a different place, and this is really the first time that they all meet uh, in this universe. So how does that all work for you as, as you were introducing the league? Uh, you know, honestly, it worked pretty well, uh, because I think I, like most other people, um, I'm really kind of tired of seeing, you know, just the, the reintroduction of everybody's backstory in detail. Um, with Batman and Superman, you can give me the broad brush strokes. You know, I get, I get it. Mm -hmm. We got it. And you have some dialogue about it. Cool. I'm good. Um, I enjoyed the fact that this was a cyborg origin story. Uh, that was actually pretty cool. I liked how he comes to be. 
I like where they have uh, Diana in this in this phase of her mm-hmm. existence. So the the characters and the characterizations worked for me. I actually thought that they were exactly what I would look for in a reboot type of timeline, which is familiar, but suited to what's going on here. Um, so you know they're they're not like trying to shoehorn anything in. They're not, this is the world that exists, and this is how they relate to that world. And that I mean, it worked for me. Yeah, I I like what you're saying there because I think one of the things that's really interesting about this is that. The New 52 assumes that you kind of know Superman and mm-hmm. Batman and all this kind of stuff. And and so, especially with this film here, where they're introducing characters, the two characters that they kind of introduce to people who might not be as familiar are Cyborg, who is a character who was on the Teen Titans and not really somebody part of the main mythos of the Justice League until the New 52. Yeah. Uh, Jeff John's a huge fan of that character and wanted to make him a part of the Justice League, and so he did. Um, and then one of the things they do in the movie that's not in the comic is that they switch Aquaman and they put in Shazam. Mm-hmm. And the reason that they did that is they wanted, they kind of wanted a youthful element to the film, mm-hmm. uh, kind of that uh, almost seeing it through a kid's eyes which you get with Shazam and um, you know, the great thing about uh, doing the cyborg origin here is that you get that kind of outsider. Like this is this person's first day of being a superhero where the other characters have been superheroes for at least a little bit. Uh, And so you kind of have that perspective. Whereas, you know, Aquaman as uh, much as I love Aquaman he becomes somebody who's, you know, just another one of the group and you don't get maybe a different perspective through mm-hmm. the character's eyes. And so I like that maybe we don't use him here and we just leave him for a spoiler alert. Uh, we yeah. set up what's going to be the next movie with the little tag scene at the very, very end of the film. So, yeah. And, you know, and, and that's legit. Uh, you know, it, it just it, it just works. I mean, I, the. Uh, The thing is, uh, it's going to be sort of a backhanded compliment, but this is sort of the thing I think that people, this is more along the lines of what I think people were expecting with, say, something like Batman, Mask of the Phantasm, is this is something where it works if you are comfortable with comic books and you don't, you know, you're not bringing somebody in who is going to want Mm -hmm. more detail about Batman and Superman. And that's mm-hmm. perfectly fine. They know their audience with this. And I like that. And I respect it because it respects me. It says yeah. we're not going to put on airs. We know who's watching this. We know that this is not going to be a big, you know, cross-section smack. You know, like th- this isn't our big mm-hmm. blockbuster where we have to appeal to non-fans as well. Hey, we're all fans here. Let's let's jump in. Now, I'd be interested, I mean, with, with your perspective, with my perspective, I come in and I'm like, oh, cool, this is like a little reboot-ish thing, and I, I'm digging what's going on, and I like what they're doing with their characters. As somebody who did read the run, I mean, is it a retread for you, or it, it, was there something fresh and exciting about it? Yeah, what I think they are able to do in this is, you know, they do the comic series pretty well, but like all of the films that they do, they they don't just do a straight up adaptation here. 
what I like what they do with Cyborg specifically is that they tie his creation into what's happening with Darkseid and the, you know, the pair demons and everything there, um, even more so than they do in the comic book, which was great. Um, I think that gives a, a a nice almost motivation for what's happening with the character and everything. So that's a change from the comic book that I think that brings me in as somebody who's read the run. Uh, also, of course, putting Shazam in here uh, gives us a, a kind of a new feel, which I think is also fun. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, it doesn't just make, like, again, it's not a straight-up adaptation, so there's enough of a difference, so you don't just... I don't know, when you do a straight-up adaptation, kind of like they did, I think, for the, you know, the 20 minutes of The Killing Joke. Yeah. It just doesn't work, right? You know? Yeah. Because it doesn't, uh, you know, that that was the big complaint that Alan Moore always had about adaptations of his stuff was he said, I wrote it for the medium that it's in. And it doesn't mm -hmm. work if you just lift that straight out and put it... Now, I mean, he, he feels it doesn't work no matter what, but I think that it works this way for the reasons you're saying, like it's fresh to me and it's still fresh to you because right. there's a spin on it. And, you know, and, and but again, to speak to Moore's point, like they're 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 aware of the medium changing, that things are different. There yes. are different rules for film and, you know, animation and stuff like that than there are for the printed page. You know, a splash page works for a comic book, but you got to find a way to translate that into movement for something like this. Yes. Yes. Well, and that's, you know, that's the thing that, um, it's funny you are talking about that idea because the meeting between Superman and, and, uh, Green Lantern where Batman's kind of like watching and he sees this progression throughout this building, right? Where there's just this smoke and everything coming out of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jim Lee was like, why did I not think of that? That's so visually fun mm -hmm. and so much easier to draw. <laughs> uh, so he actually liked that change that they made because he thought it just, it, it created that suspense of like what's happening. You don't know what's happening, right. but you're getting the sense of what's happening. And it, it kind of, it, it's, it's a fun joke and everything there. And so, yeah, I actually, I thought that that was really fun too. And so again, you're, you're creating this, uh, you're using the medium mm -hmm. that that is, you know, moving pictures instead of just comic to create uh, a, a fun, interesting scene, but also one that sets itself apart from the comic. So, again, you feel rewarded for having watched this as well as seen the comic book because it's not just a one for one. And I, I think that, you know, again, I think that's a lot of fun. The, the one thing that... Um like speaking of movement and the medium and everything that, that got under my skin and gets under my skin a lot of times with these direct-to-video animated things is when they have the large groups, in, in this case, the Parademons. That's the right name for them, right? Are they, yes. Yeah, okay. Um, they are, they're obviously computer-copied and then just sort of like, you know, yeah. they're, they're just rolled across and it's... right. There's some like, you know, that's one of the things they had the same problem with the killing joke with certain movement sequences and everything where there are certain things they're able to imitate from hand drawn animation where you work. It accepts it's it's what it, it's a style that you're used to and that works for you. But then when they do that background stuff and they have those things moving on Moss and they're obviously just replicated things. That was I don't know about you, man, but that that those are always moments that take me out where I'm like, eek. like it just like something there's this weird. It's all obviously two dimensional, 
but that just seems even more two-dimensional than the rest of it. Yeah, you know, what's funny is the things that kind of sometimes throw me out when they do these is when you have a clearly three-dimensional object in a two-dimensional space, you know, when they are using CGI instead of hands-on animation style. And and it always stands out to me in, uh, you know, what is a 2D animated film, but you can tell it's a 3D object. Yeah. Um, that happened in Silas's Red Room when they're saving Victor Stone, who becomes Cyborg. And so that's one of those things where it just kind of pulls me out. I, I'm with you there. Th- there are some minor things like that where you're just like, eh, okay. But but at the same and time... And I get that because, yeah. again, it's, it's direct-to-home video. Um, you're definitely trying to do as good a quality as possible it's not gonna be the same as you spent 60 million dollars on you know an animated feature right right yeah yeah i i mean you know it's not an unforgivable sin basically and i think i think that there are enough moments uh that that make up for it um like I, i just i thought the movement of the main characters was really good i really liked it um and strangely even though I know they use the same type of trickery, I thought the movement of uh, Dark Side was really good too. I liked the way that character mm-hmm. moved because it fit. It worked like that. That I think was the most successful, you know, character to come to life on this screen because he moved the way he always moved in my head when I read the comics years and years ago, and so you know it just worked for me. Yeah, he he seems to be this completely immovable force, right, of nature, like. It, uh, that and it, it, that's exactly what you want from Dark Side as a character. Yeah, uh, yeah. One of the so one of the most important things that they have, I think, with these animated features is usually the voice cast. I feel like tends to be pretty good. Yeah. And so I wanted to kind of dive into the characters and their voices and and see what you think. Um, so in this version, you get uh, Jason O'Mara, who's been playing Batman for a while, and the the DC animated features because Kevin Conroy doesn't always do it anymore. What did you think of him and, and what we get of this Batman? I, I liked it. I, I, I think he has a good characterization. His, his voice is right. I can, I can buy, you know, somebody not recognizing his voice as Batman. Like there, there's this, there's this nice neutral quality. And I don't know if that is because he, I believe he's, he's originally from Ireland, isn't he? Um, I think I think you may be correct. Yeah, so, so so I think probably the fact that he has to work to make his voice neutral to you know to to get mm-hmm. any hint of an accent out of it. Yes. Probably works greatly to his advantage because Batman should have a very neutral voice. You know the type mm-hmm. of voice that it isn't necessarily memorable. Now people It doesn't have to be like this well, all the right, time. That, that's what I'm going to say. People would love to just twist that around and say ha 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 Christian Bale, but it's like it's it depends on the situation. Mm-hmm. With this with this it works very well. There are, there are many options for Batman's voice, you know, the 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 monster voice you have, you know, which Bale did, you have the the angsty whisper of Michael Keaton, you have George Clooney being George Clooney. Yeah. And, Being and George Clooney, yeah, yeah, but but then you have this, which I, I think is is very workable, where it's a neutral voice. There's no traceable accent on it. Yeah, and I think um, I think one of the things that he does is he has that uh, almost like even keeledness, which you kind of expect Batman to have. He doesn't. He's not a character that gets heated. Yeah, you know, he he always has an answer for something, and he's always planning something. So it, it's never uh, excitable in that sense. 
And I, I think that he does a, a really good job of, of playing the Batman voice, you know. And what's interesting, too, is that, uh, you know, even less so than um, Kevin Conroy, he doesn't really change his voice all that much between Batman and Bruce Wayne. Right. Which is really interesting take, too, because I feel like his voice just kind of sounds like Batman when he talks. You know, he just kind of has a kind of a deep resonance and even killed delivery. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, so yeah, I, I mean, high marks for Jason Amara. I, I really worked for me. And, you know, just to, to add on one other thing about his performance, he and your thing about the, you know, the even keel and everything, um, there's that one exchange where, like, he's been blowing off Green, green Lantern and Green Lantern, you know, and Flash comes <laughs> up. He's like, Batman, you're real. And Green Lantern's like, oh, this guy's a jerk. Don't even bother. Hi. I'm proud, you know, I like your work. And, you know, yes, like yes. it's just such a perfect spot on delivery. It works really, really well. Well, and there are a couple of moments that I like where Batman is able to deliver a line that's completely deadpan and it's the truth, but it makes it funny. Yes. Yes. And they do that really well. And that seems like, you know, that's kind of that. Batman thing, right? You just say something and it's funny, but it's o- it's only funny because it's the truth. Yep. And um, uh, it, you're you know in a precarious situation, and it's great. Yeah. It actually kind of reminded me. I, I, this might sound strange, but the way that Daniel Radcliffe would deliver those really dry lines in Harry Potter, where they're funny, but it's just him delivering kind of a truthful line about what's happening, like. You know, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, he said yeah. the same kind of thing. Yeah, I, 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 I get, I get what you're going with that. For me, I stay in the Batman uh, milieu, if you will. But uh, it, it reads to me uh, mostly like a more serious version of Adam West, where oh, yeah, context yeah. is yep. what makes the joke work, mm-hmm. and delivery is yep. exactly what you need in that situation. I like that. Yeah, I really, I think you're absolutely right on that. So, uh, well, hey. Well, a very famous actor playing Clark Kent Superman yes. in this uh, K2SO, you may know him as, <laughs> or Wash. Alan yeah. Tudyk, what did you think of him? Because I, I forgot that he was playing him here because I'm used to Jerry O'Connell doing it in yeah. a lot of them. Uh, what did you end up thinking? I, I was surprised. I, I actually didn't realize it was him uh, at, at first. And it, I mean, I was well into it. I was like... I. I know that, and because I, I, you know, I I don't typically look at the credits for the voice, at, you know, until near the end or so, you know, where I'm just trying to place it or something. I thought he did great, uh, and what I love about it is it did take me off guard. I think specifically because my brain would not say Alan Tudyk does Superman. I'd be Alan Tudyk does Flash. Alan Tudyk does Green Lantern. Alan yes, Tudyk does this. Yes. Not Alan Tudyk does Superman, and I think he brings a good energy to it that makes Superman. Uh, I mean, I, I hesitate to use the phrase, but less nerdy. This Superman seems mm-hmm. a little bit more with it, a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more comfortable yep. with who he is instead of the typical thing that, you know, is mostly gone for where Superman is always, you know, oh, I'm the outsider and everything. This is a Superman mm-hmm. that's like, hey, you know, what's up? I'm Superman. Yeah. You know, what's what's great about uh, this Superman, I think, and, and Alec Tudyk's performance is that, you know, in the New 52, Superman is y- slightly younger than we kind of get him in the comics for the most part. And he is a little bit more confident and cocky and brash than he has been portrayed before, which I think is nice because it's just a, 
It's not like it's a different Superman. He's just in a different part of his life, which is younger. And it gives uh, a nice sense that, you know, Superman isn't kind of always that grandfatherly Alex Ross painting, you know, we think of him as, you know. Uh, And I, I think that just kind of breathes life into the idea that Superman isn't a nerdy stick in the mud. Well, and I, th- I think that making him younger is also a, a smart move because, you know, Christopher Reeve wasn't that old or anything, but like, you know, everybody's always talked about the fact that it's hard to shake that shadow. Like that mm-hmm. portrayal of Superman is there. And I think Brandon Ruth did a really good job of using it up, but they were still being a little bit too tight with it. And, you know, you, we can table any discussions about, you know, Henry Cavill or anything like that. But the decision, like this is how, for me, this is how you update Superman. He's still Superman. He's still the Superman I know and love, but he's a little bit younger. And so that is enough to refresh the character a bit so that it doesn't seem like, to speak to your point about, you know, the grandfatherly thing, it's not like a nerd trying to be hip. He's just <laughs> there already. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. And and I mean, the interesting thing about this is that, you know, uh, for the the DCU, a lot of what they pull from for their characterizations actually comes from the new 52. And so, uh, yeah, this Superman kind of fits into that mold, I think. And I just I think he does a really great job of, of portraying the character. And it's a lot of fun. Uh, what's also interesting is that the new 52 and this one sets it up that there's a flirtation between Batman and, and Wonder Woman uh, that yeah. they kind of dig each other uh, on first. I mean, it's the it's the uh, super meat cute, uh, <laughs> uh, which I, I, I really like when, you know, she's like, whoa, by the gods. And he's like, oh, you're really strong. Yeah. Like, you know, um, I, I think which it was kind of fun i think that attraction makes sense because he would be attracted to strong women and i think that um i think that it's a direction very much that fans have wanted and they've they've toyed with from time to time it makes a lot of sense for that wonder woman attraction to be there a lot of sense uh just because they're more they're more alike than they are different. You know, like it it would make sense that even if they never were to connect or get together or anything like that, it makes sense that there would be an attraction because they can relate to each other in a way that other people can't. Well, and it is what's so interesting is they really do explore that in the new 52. There was um, Superman wonder woman comic where they were together. Uh, One of the interesting things too was because this was a younger Superman, you know, and she's a warrior she is able to help him kind of learn to even more so hone his abilities and to fight more like a warrior, you know, to kind of, instead of just being about punching things, you know, uh, learn some of those techniques that she would know. So it is really fun that they went there. And I've always loved them being in a relationship. I, I think it makes a little bit more sense in a lot of ways um and i'm glad that they at least explored that in the new 52 even if it doesn't exist anymore in continuity after rebirth but it was a, it is an enjoyable thing to have them go down that road and uh it is very fun here i i love that it, it's kind of funny that all the guys are kind of vying for wonder woman's attention in the movie but the only one that really catches her eye is superman um so she's got good taste 
Well, you know, I, I also think that um, it's very apparent here how the because you you said, you know, a number of times how New 52 has influenced how the DC movies are, you know, being uh, constructed and, the, you know, the characterizations that are coming in. And I suspect with Jeff Johns being more directly involved, that's going to continue to be the case. And right. I think that um, you can really see it with Wonder Woman best. Uh, this this characterization is very much cut from the same cloth with what we got uh, with Gal Gadot in the Wonder Woman film. No, I I agree with you. I mean, uh, I mean, they even do the, the ice cream scene here, which uh, is enjoyable. Yes, uh, any yeah. any version of Wonder Woman, and I think uh, Wonder Woman's really fun here. I, I, Michelle Moynihan is playing her, and you know. She is a character that's very much like the movie in the sense she's very comfortable in her own skin. Um, she's not used to the world she is in, but she's she's ready to protect and serve and and you know any of those things be a leader and part of a team yeah. if she has to be. You know she's willing to do whatever it takes, and I, I thought that was a really you know it it fit with what we see in the movie that we got. It just came out digitally, by the way, um, but. I thought that it also, she's kind of a refreshing character here because it, she's not about any agenda, really, you know, yeah. other than peace and, and, you know, trying to protect humanity if she can. Uh, and and it, she just kind of comes off as a very joyful character, uh, which is kind of cool. You know, she's the one of them, I think, that's the more established character mm -hmm. that just has a real joy in whatever it is she's doing. Yeah, childlike in a good way. The, yes. the the type of person where, you know, oh, well, things are this way. Why? You know, nobody ever thought to ask that question. You know, right. like, those are the type of conversations <laughs> you see happening yes. with Wonder Woman. Yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, I what what's interesting, too, is um, I guess well, let's talk about it here because it, it this movie also sets up something that the DCU uses, which is the fact that these heroes aren't necessarily loved um, and kind of setting up that idea that, you know, people may may not be happy about them being around. And that specifically happens here with Wonder Woman. She's going to meet the president and uh, there's a protest happening in front of the White House about her. And um, people are protesting her and they don't even know her. You know, they they all they know is maybe what they've seen on the news or what they've heard or read online. And, and she yeah. uses the lasso of truth on that dude. And I yeah. thought, wow, that's hilarious. That, that was that was a very funny gag. I like they they know what they have with the lasso of truth. And I think that also you have a situation where um, there is there is whether it's intentional or not a terrific commentary on how, you know, if one person has a problem with something and they're loud enough, a crowd will form. Yes. We've all experienced this, you know, either observed it or experienced it or whatever online where one person gets a really loud problem with something mm -hmm. and, and the crowd forms. And it's yep. just, it's, it's, I mean, you know, it's human nature in, in, in a large extent, but it, that, that confrontation with the protesters too is, is especially funny to me having uh, lived and worked you know, right around the White House um, a number of times. These protests are fairly, fairly common. And every so often, I, you know, you would wish that somebody would have a lasso of truth to throw it around the ringleader and be like, all right, spit <laughs> yes. it out. What's your real agenda right now? Yes, absolutely. And, uh, and I completely agree with you that it, it, 
is a fun way of making that commentary. But I think it's also uh, an interesting thing to, you know, have the world not necessarily be in love with your heroes, necessarily, uh, you know, just kind of right away. It, in, it, to have them have to kind of earn that respect. I think that's interesting, you know, and definitely something we do see, I think, in the films that we are getting with the DCU, you know, with Superman and all that kind of stuff, Batman v Superman, that's a big point, which, you know, um, and the world in which we live in a place where people will complain about literally anything, it makes sense. So I liked that. The next one I wanted to talk to you about, because this is somebody who definitely, kind of, we opened the movie with uh, Hal Jordan played by Justin Kirk's voice here. And uh, what did you end up thinking about the way we, uh, you know, work him into the film and then, of course, um, just the characterization in general of Green Lantern? I really like the characterization of Green Lantern. I mean, the thing is, I'm going to sound like a broken record. Obviously, I liked it. And, and, you know, I'm going to keep saying I like the, you know, people's characterizations. But what I liked was... You know, we said, well, with Batman and Superman, they don't really get bogged down in, you know, the, the stories and everything. They have some lines of dialogue here and there. But I like that they did that with Green Lantern as well, because his backstory, Green Lantern is, in a very large sense for me, a lot like the Hulk, where he's a great side character, mm-hmm. but he does not need a lot of attention because his story is magic ring superpower. Boom, right. sold. I am ready to go. And the way they introduce him is great because mm-hmm. he is trying to catch who he thinks is Batman. Batman's trying to catch, you know, the the parademon and it it becomes a way to naturally introduce a character through conflict and dialogue which mm-hmm. really establishes him very quickly and I know everything I need to right. know about Green Lantern and how he's going to operate in 1 minute. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, you know, because I think I really have grown to love the character of Green Lantern. I've been reading a lot of Green Lantern and gone back and read a lot of Green Lantern. It's it's just a really fun character, and it works really well, especially in the comic book page. The characterization, actually, it's funny, doesn't work as well for me here because of that. Um, the Really? Yes, yeah, sometimes I feel like they make Hal Jordan a little bit too much of a hothead and kind of a jackass. And oh. I feel like it's it's a little bit too far here. Um, and I hmm. I don't like the voice as much as I do when Nathan Fillion is playing him, which I think Nathan is kind of perfect for this role of the, you know, smart-ass, you know, hothead kind of character. It doesn't work as well for me here, but um, I, I like the where it goes at the end of the movie. Better than I liked him at the beginning, so it's it it creates a decent arc, I think. But it's I think in the end he's probably my least favorite of the heroes that we get because I I'm not as sold and I don't enjoy quite as much how they use him. I guess not how they use him, but his characterization. It's not it's not my favorite, but. See, I like his characterization, I think, primarily because he winds up being uh, so different from, mm-hmm. you know, like, you're right. That he makes, is yeah, he I is kind of a jerk, that. but I like that. I You know, I like conflict in my characters, you know, like right. drama right. is conflict and stuff like that. Yes. And so I think that that gives it a really good place. And it also, I think, has the payoff specifically when 
you know, he refers to Batman as a jerk and, you know, the Flash, right. you're not going to want to meet him. And Batman's like, oh, hey, right. you're cool. And yes. I think that's that's an that that actually reads as a turning point where he's kind of like, oh, mm-hmm. oh, OK, I'm he's just giving as good as I hmm, maybe I should be a little yeah. bit nicer. I like. That. Well, and then the moment when he starts yelling out orders and he's like, oh, I've turned into Batman. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I you know. I get what you're saying, um, and I—it's not like I hate it or anything. It's just—it's not quite my favorite characterization, especially even that they've done in the animated films. But it's not awful or anything at all like that. That's not what I'm saying. So, um, and I think you're right again. That kind of payoff at the end, I think, makes it work more for what we get at the beginning. Um, and this is not something that I'm super familiar with. Christopher Gorham playing uh, Barry Allen as the Flash. But I have to say, um, one of the things, Flash does not work great in animation because it's always really hard to make him look like he's actually going fast. <laughs> yeah. uh, because Just because of the animation in general. It, it's just not. But the some of the lines he gets in that, that scene with Batman where he's like, oh, you're real? And he meets Batman and that yeah. whole thing about, oh, I love the work you do. You're, you're, you're clean and tight and it's good work like that whole thing with it i really i really liked what they do the little bit that they do with barry allen and flash you know i i can honestly say that with with the characterizations the i come out of it i actually would be interested in seeing like a green lantern flash team up like spinoff sort of thing yes like these characterizations work in an odd couple sort of way Mm -hmm. and i think maybe that's why they do take uh green lantern so sort of jackass-ish in the beginning yes. <laughs> of it is because that sets up that foil. You have that sort of mm-hmm. like, you know, he, hero worshiping, not hero worshiping, but that that sort of exuberant um, characterization with Flash. And then you have the more Oscar Madison type with Green Lantern. Like they they set themselves up as a nice natural buddy comedy. Yes. No, they absolutely do. And, you know, uh Green Lantern is famous for teaming up with Green Arrow in the comics, uh, you know. But I, I heartily agree with you that Green Lantern and Flash are also great team ups, and I would, I, I would love to see them do that film. Um, I think it would be great uh, because you're absolutely right; they are a lot of fun together. Well, I, I mean, it's it's just one of those things that, I, you know, I know I'm sort of like jumping ahead, but like as we talk about these characters and as we talk about this specific team up, after seeing um, uh, the assault at Arkham and now this, I am so sold on the DC animated universe that like I think they found my wavelength over here because we I've made no secret of the fact that I've had trouble latching on to the live action stuff for the for the DC films. This is my speed. Like they have found some sort of sweet spot here and Justice League War really cements it for me where like I come out of this and I just want to see more. I just want to rent more, I want to watch more and all you know all of these characterizations uh, speak to this. And I mean we haven't even gotten to Cyborg yet who you mentioned Jeff Johns loves Cyborg. I remember reading Teen Titans growing up. And mm-hmm. man, I love Cyborg too. I love the fact that he's in it. I love the fact that he's got a prominent role. That's awesome to me. I love it. Well, and I have to say, I think Shamar Moore 
is the best voice actor in in the the characterization that he brings to Cyborg. It just fits so 100% perfectly that uh, I, I'm right there with you. I, I think that the way they tell his story is fantastic and his relationship with his father because that's a very prominent part of his storyline and the way they tie it into everything that's happening and just the way he becomes a hero and then the way he kind of connects with uh, Billy Baston and Shazam I really like as well because he kind of becomes almost a big brother like character to him you know everything that they did with him I just really enjoyed because it could have been just like oh my daddy doesn't like me but that's not all we get here with him uh and I you know Cyborg to me has become a very interesting character and a fun one to watch throughout the comics now that he's become much more part of the Justice League and and kind of a major player in that kind of being one of the seven and so uh, I'm excited to see more of him and I feel like they set you up for kind of liking this character very well in this film and I think it's you know in the end it kind of makes you to me it makes me a little bit more excited even re-watching this and I've seen it before but to just kind of see him in the Justice League movie that's coming out because I'm from what I've seen it kind of feels like very similar type of characterization that they might give him in that movie is what he's got here. So if that's the case, heck, I'm all for it. Yeah, I mean, the the, the one thing is, that, that I'll say is that the chemistry between these characters is great. And Cyborg, I think I think the, the best way I can say it is that all of the voice characterizations are strong. They're all, I, for me, they, they all work. They all completely work. But Cyborg... It, it, the voice work here is of a sort that uh, I'm going to make a, a reference to probably something most people haven't even listened to, but the Star Wars radio dramas is really where you hear Mark Hamill. Like when you hear Mark Hamill in the Star Wars radio dramas, especially The Empire Strikes Back, there's like a, there's like a, a, a different layer to his performance where it it becomes the type of vocal performance that works mm. outside of the medium that it's yep. in. Yes. And I think that, that what you're speaking to here with Cyborg is this is a characterization and, and vocal work that supports it that like I, and the thing is, you know, I, I'm not trying to like set up expectations or anything, but I really hope that in, if, you know, if I go see the justice league movie, this is the cyborg I want. This is the guy I want, and I will be kind of disappointed if I don't get that. Well, and, you know, I, I think that because, the you know, Jeff Johns, this is one of his characters, along with, you know, he he likes to take characters that people don't think are cool and make them cool. That's his thing. And he did that with Aquaman and New 52. Uh, he did that with, like, with Cyborg uh in the series and uh you know he likes to be able to resurrect characters that people are like there's no way you can make that cool and he's like whatever i'll make him cool uh or them cool um so i i, I really respect that though because yeah, that that too. to me that to me speaks to somebody who you know ha- has the type of creative streak that likes a challenge and so hearing about him being more involved across the board helps a lot because this is, you know, like like you said, this isn't this this Justice League and Justice League War 
is not a marketing decision where they say we have to bring in these characters and assemble them this way. This is organic and this feels like real good characters that actually exist in a space. And that's what I am expecting to see Jeff Johns' involvement bring into the other DC films at this point. Yeah, no, I think I agree with you there because, you know, obviously this is Jeff Johns working with uh, Jim Lee to create this first run of the Justice League and set the tone for what the Justice League would be in the New 52. And, uh, you know, I think um, one of the successes in the Wonder Woman film was Jeff being more involved, even more so than he had been. And I think that that's something that's going to spill over into Justice League too because, uh, it's something he cares about that, you know, there's some characters in here that I think he really wants to see serviced well, such as like an Aquaman and a, a cyborg characters that, you know, people might not gravitate towards automatically. And I think he wants to make sure that those characters as well as the other major players are done well too. So, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I think you're, I think you're well poised to have seen this and, and this is Jeff's work. And then, you know, to kind of expect that to be something that's reflected in the next film or in in the new film coming out. You know, I don't I don't think there's any reason for you to to feel bad about, you know, kind of expecting that at this point because it's the same guy. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's so I'd be disappointed. I'd honestly be disappointed, too. So <laughs> but see, this this is what's interesting to me is. Uh, like I'm not going to draw the direct comparison, but you're going to see what I'm going for with this, that Jeff John seems to me the type of guy who was always there as a resource, but they didn't think to tap him until they said, huh, well, okay, he knows the universe that we're building and we're having a little bit of trouble establishing it. Right. Maybe we should bring him forward and give him a more prominent role in everything. And I think mm-hmm. that there are plenty of men and women in the different franchises, you know, men and women who, if the the powers that be just took a second and looked over and said, that person's been here a long time, they could probably make this work because they've been successful with it before. That is, so I think Jeff Johns, like I, I, I'm just saying that that to me speaks to a really good thing about his involvement with these projects and justice league war, I think is a great calling card for him to leave on the table and say, look how we can make this work and it can, it can work. Well, and I, you know, he is the person who, you know, just has recently found a way to work, uh, all of the continuity of DC in with the new 52 and everything else so that it doesn't just feel like, oh, we're just rebooting again. So it actually felt like, no, the New 52 mattered, and this is why, because these things were happening. And the, you know, Rebirth has been very successful for DC. So, uh, and and that's really kind of his brainchild. So uh, I think you're absolutely right. You know, he's somebody who just gets it, but I think part of that is just because he has an absolute love for what it is that he does, and, the, and he loves comics. He loves these characters. You know, he wants to see them do well because he cares about them, you know. And I think that's always a good thing, no matter what you're doing. And um, I think you can kind of see that with um, them casting Sean Astin as uh, Shazam and uh, finding a way to put him up with these other characters and kind of even find a way visually to differentiate him uh, as a more magical character, but somebody who kind of has the powers of Superman. I thought... 
I really enjoy him in the film. He's he's really fun. He is fun, and I I think that the way they they bring him in is just right. Like there there's what's amazing to me, and we we have the same sort of praise for Mask of the Phantasm. Now the thing is, I want to be very clear. I am sitting here. I'm throwing praise on this, but I still this is not the same category as Mask of the Phantasm. Like Mask of the Phantasm is a different thing, but I draw this comparison because this is another example of not to get hung up on running time because it's not like this is a two and a half hour epic. And I just talked about this with uh, Mike Schindler, uh, who is here on the network, of course, and over on stage nine and he's over on the edge and everything like that, where when people hear running times, they have this, they have this strange reaction where if it's less than 120 minutes, it's no good. And if it's more than 180 minutes, it's garbage. And, I I like something like this speaks to his exact point, which is it should just be as long as however long it needs to be. And that's it. Who cares yep. about running time as so long as it's good? Yep. Absolutely agree. I mean, 100 and yeah, 100 percent agree. So and, I, you know, it, the fun thing in here is John uh, Aston does a great job in the sense that you can tell every once in a while it's him. But at the same time, he he does enough to disguise his voice so you're just not like oh that's sam wise game you know or rudy uh he really creates a fun vibrant character in shazam and you know uh to me it just kind of makes me excited to see a little bit more and my wife was even asking because she's watching this with me last night and she's she was asking me something some things about him and i'm like you know, I'm going to have to go do some research because I don't know enough about the character. And so I need to go read some comics and stuff. And so I, what I love is when something like this makes you want to know more about a character because you like what you saw. Yeah, I, I would definitely say that uh, Shazam's portrayal here um, speaks probably to Mr. Johns's uh, uh, predilection for rehabilitating yeah. characters who aren't <laughs> deeply loved. Yes. Because your reaction and your impression of Shazam is not that far off, where it's kind of like, yeah, oh, this is a cute relic of the past. Like Shazam, in a lot of ways, is what Superman was always in danger of becoming, which mm-hmm. is a cute symbol of the past. Oh, this yeah. is this is the hero we liked back when the times were different. And mm-hmm. to take on the challenge of making him fun without making him a snarky kid or something like that. You know, I mean, he's got a wit about him, but he's not he's not a punk, you know, like right. it's it's not the type of kid where you want to, you know, just get out of the room as quick as you can. <laughs> it's the kid where you're like, yes. oh, OK, I don't want to admit that I'm laughing at your joke, but OK, you got one over on me there. Well, and it's fun, too, because when you think about his character just in general, I mean, it's like the this ultimate wish fulfillment. You know, you're a kid, but when you say a certain word, you turn into an adult with superpowers. You know, it, yeah. it's kind of the, the, the very thing that you every kid wishes that they could do. Right. And and so it makes for interesting. I think if you do it right, if you write it right, it, it makes for a very interesting character. And I think that, again, it was fun to kind of watch his relationship with Vic. You know, he as a as Billy Baston, he looks up to Vic. He thinks he's a hero and everything. And, you know, they find themselves in this place where. You know, Vic becomes a hero through an accident and an unfortunate incident, you know, and they form a bond because they both kind of have uncomfortableness with their situation, 
you know, Cyborg's not completely comfortable with being Cyborg because he can't feel anything anymore. And Billy is uncomfortable because he doesn't want anybody to know he's really a kid, you know, and they form right. this this partnership uh, and this kind of secret pact where, you know, that Billy is trusting Vic with his secret and, and in Cyborg, I think, kind of trusts him because he knew him before he became Cyborg and maybe that reminds him of his humanity. And, and it's just this nice symbiosis that I really, really like. So, Yeah, I, I, I'm on board. And, and the thing is, it's uh, what's great about it is the fact that they're up against dark side. They're up against mm. the baddie yeah. of all baddies. They're up against the the you know the grandmaster of supervillains, uh, in a large sense. You know, like I think it works really well because the focus can remain on these characters being who they are, because the backdrop doesn't require mm-hmm. an exceedingly intricate explanation. Right, giant, all powerful bad guys show up. This is your blank canvas throw your characters on it and let's watch them go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, uh, fun thing is that Dark Side's played by Steve Bloom, who's Zeb in Star Wars Rebels, uh, and with Dee Bradley Baker playing his parademon, so yeah. all the clone <laughs> troopers, which is great. Yep. Uh, but this kind of dark menace, yeah, I love that we don't really define Dark Side other than as being a big bad villain because... It allows all of our characters to use all of their powers to their fullest extent without feeling bad about, you know, Superman going full Superman on somebody. Uh, You know, Wonder Woman being able to do the same and any of the characters bringing their ultimate game so you get to see what they're all about. But the fact that it takes all of them to defeat Darkseid is cool. The fact that it takes all of them working together. I mean, there aren't many villains in the superhero genres that could have all of the characters of the DC universe have to get together to fight. But this is one of them. And right. I think obviously it's it's one of the reasons for in the <laughs> in this film using Dark, uh, Darkseid's uh general Steppenwolf is is a stepping stone maybe to him later on, but getting him here I think really works. Well, I mean, in a cartoon, there's a bit more, um, especially in something that is, you know, less than an hour and a half. There is a, a, a forgivable nature to big baddie get away, come back later sort yeah. of thing, <laughs> as opposed yep. to after I've invested two and a half hours and twenty dollars plus a babysitter to go see what's going on. You know, you, you, that's a little more earned. But like with you know with with these with these sorts of things it's just it's so straightforward i mean i think that's probably what i responded to most is that this is a very straightforward story it doesn't put on airs it doesn't try to be more this or more that and to speak to your point about dark side yeah if it's like lex luthor or something like that you know like batman gets out his bat bat phone he's like hey uh get over here take care of this this is your guy you know, and then, you know, Superman's like, hey, Joker's going loose. Do you need help? No, no, no. I got this. I'm good. But you bring Darkseid into it and it's like, oh, well, hmm. Yeah, we're going to need some extra help on this one. We, we need everybody on deck. I mean, and it's not uh, what's great, too, is that, you know, by the end, they set up a nice um, place for these characters to be because, you know, this is the first time they've all been together. They're not necessarily a team. They're not, you know, all in this together just yet. 
you know, they're, they're not necessarily completely comfortable with each other yet, but they came together because they had to. And it, it sets up a nice place for the team to continue uh, in the, the sequels that we'll get. I think the next one is uh, The Throne of Atlantis, where we introduce Aquaman. Yeah. Uh, and that whole storyline, which is great with the Justice League. And so I just, uh, you know, it, I'm right there with you. I think it it knows its medium, you know. It knows that it's a, it's a direct-to-home comic book video release. But that's not a knock on it because it does exactly what it needs to do to introduce you to the characters and let you have a great time with them showing off all their powers, interacting in fun ways together, and doing it all in a way that makes sense but uh, never bogs you down in a way that makes you bored. Yeah, you know? and, and, you know, to, to it, it sold me enough to want to see another one. And it reminds what you're saying reminds me of the uh, there was a book a long time ago that had to do with how to run your business called Raving Fans. And it was about how do you make raving fans? Well, figure out what you do. Don't try to do everything. Figure out what you do. Do it the best you possibly can. And you will create a fan base. You will create people that are dedicated and loyal to you and what you're doing. And I think that right here with Justice League War, I can say, if this is how they're doing it, then they have turned me into a raving fan and I'm going to come back and I'm going to watch more. Simple as that. Which is exciting because uh, just so you know, Justice League, Throne of Atlantis, uh, guess who plays Aquaman? Uh, Christopher Nolan. Sorry, that's what I guess for everything. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Lanter. No way! Anakin Skywalker himself from the Clone Wars, yeah. Oh my gosh, right, right on the heels of, uh, you know. I know, isn't that great? Zeb and, and the Clone, that's, but th- that's awesome too. Like, I, th- you know, that that's such an interesting little thing because, you know, you mentioned Nathan Fillion and Alan Tudyk. We, we all become cheerleaders. It's almost like these are sports players to us. Yeah. And when we see them on a, a new team or, you know, having a successful run at something, we're like, yeah. I'm rooting for you. So, oh, that's awesome that Matt Lanter's. Like, ah, yeah, that, that's it an added so selling much point for me. That's cool. Well, and uh, that is one where they have Jerry O'Connell back as Superman. Uh, Wonder Woman's played by Rosario Dawson, and Nathan Fillion's back as uh, Hal Jordan. So that'll be very um, interesting for me yeah. because I really like the characterizations in this so much. I'll want to do a comparison and see. Yeah, you know if I like them as much or in a different way. I think we know what we want to fit in sometime to the 602 Club then. Yes. Come back. Yeah. Justice League. You just heard uh, it happen, folks. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. We just made the plan, so you'll see it. Um, So, uh, wanted to ask you then, before we rate this real quick, you know, watching this, kind of seeing the people involved, where the writing came from and everything, does this help you in any way feel like it's a good primer for what we might see in justice league in november as we're recording this it is august 29th here of 2017 so we haven't seen justice league yet um do you feel like that this is kind of a good primer for that oh that's a tough one because that would set an expectation for me um i think that this is a good way to get a feel for how because 
and this isn't to open up the bigger conversation or anything, but one of the consistent complaints about the DC movies pre-Wonder Woman is that they're dreary, they're you know sort of joyless to an extent, those sorts of things. I think that this is a good primer in the sense that it prepares you for the sensibility that everybody is hoping to see in Justice League. And that is one of the things that I know I would hope to see is this sense of it's a little more relaxed and it's a little more uh, organic the way these characters relate to each other. And so I think that if it does pay off, then yeah, this is a terrific primer for getting the tone of you know what might be uh, coming in November. Yeah. No, I think uh, I think that's a good thought. You know, and I'll just say, you know, kind of looking at what we've gotten just in the trailers and everything, it does feel like what we're seeing here in this film feels like what might play out a little bit in that film, as in for characterizations, the interaction between the characters, all of that kind of stuff feels a lot like this. So that's good, I think. You know, um, I also think, as we talked about, this is a great way, you know, if you aren't as familiar with a character like Cyborg, uh, this is a great way to to get familiar with him and kind of his backstory and everything and, and see what he's all about. Um, and, uh, you know, I, in the end, I think there is a lot of this that I think transfers because the New 52 is kind of the thing that when they started, like Man of Steel specifically, and even with Batman v Superman, a lot of the characterizations and the the characters of like Superman and like Batman and that kind of stuff uh, come from that world, and the the just the overall tone of this one. And I think like the movie takes place. I mean, we don't think about it, but it's animated, so we don't think we think of the time of day. But this whole movie takes place at night, pretty much in the dark. Um, you know, uh, it's it's there's lots of destruction in it. Nobody complains about that. Maybe it's because it's animated. Uh, I, I do. I think I think that's because it's animated. When you don't yeah. see actual real people, you're <laughs> able. Yeah, no, I but, mean, but, it's just an animated person. They don't really count. No, but but animated lives don't count. Yeah, but in in, in comic books, you know, you see wanton destruction like this, and it's it is mm-hmm. it's a safety net where you will mentally. It's sort of like why horror novels by Stephen King are so much better uh, most of the time than the the films that are released based on Mm -hmm. them is because your brain will go as far as it needs to. And so I think that it's an escape valve to have it be animated when you're dealing with destruction on this sort of level. Yeah. So, I mean, I think a lot of that in the end kind of fits in with you know, where we've been there and, and where we're going. So I'm excited. This is so much fun, though. I, I'm, I'm so glad we got a chance to talk about it. Uh, John, if you um, had a slap a rating on this, what do you think? Oh, well, I mean, you know, keeping in mind things are relative. Um, so, you know, what we talked about, you know, Mask of the Phantasm, that's four, four and a half out of five. But I mean, like that's like four and a half out of five, you know, on the same sort of scale where I'm I'm throwing... Uh, a Nolan movie or a Lucas movie or a Bigelow movie, right. you know, that sort of thing. Whereas on this scale, which is sort of like the animated film scale, which is, you know, that, that genre, it still comes away. I, you know, I'd say with like an eight and a half uh, out of 10 uh, for this, it's well worth seeing. 
I think that um, if anything, I would have liked to see more. So maybe my rating is even a little too harsh, but it's one of those things where, you know, while I'm sitting here saying, oh, you know, don't complain about running time. I, I would have liked more time with them. But so in a, in a way, it's almost like a compliment that works against it because I wanted more time with these characters. Yeah, I like that, man. And I, I'm, I'm really, I, when we talked about doing this. I had no idea how you'd feel about it, if you'd like it. So it's really cool that it ended up being something that kind of sold you on the DC animated universe and makes you want to see more. And, you know, the, I think anytime you come out of a movie feeling like, man, I just wanted more of what we had, that's a great feeling. You know, you know that they did something right. And I'm right there with you. You know, I think to me, this is definitely eight out of ten, uh, you know, destroyed parademons <laughs> or whatever it is you want to destroy. in this Omega movie. beams. Omega beams. Yeah, Omega beams. Yes. Uh, this really is fun. And I enjoy this movie very much. I enjoy watching it. I think, you know, one of the things we said is is what makes it so good is it just it is what it is. It knows what it is and it doesn't pretend to be anything more, or anything less. And it's an enjoyable romp with the Justice League, you know, uh, a characters that I really enjoy. So I, you know, I love the DC universe and I love these characters. And uh, I think what this movie does well is it services all the characters well for the Agreed. most part. Agreed. And that's great stuff. So I'm really glad we got a chance to talk about it. And we've got great associate producers here through Patreon Kim Tripp and Davis Grayson, and they make sure that this show and each and every show throughout the network comes to you each and every week. Uh, it is a monumental enterprise to put this together, this network. It's it's very expensive, uh, and we can't do it alone. So we just uh, we ask you to help us out, make sure that keeps happening. Uh, uh, every little bit a month can help, and you can go over to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can be part of our team. Uh, we've got some great perks that come to you. Uh, you can check all of those out again at patreon.com slash trekfm, and we hope that you will help us out. Now, John, uh, if anybody wants to catch up with you and talk about uh, anything that we've talked about here or you know any of the other shows that you do, where can they find you, man? Well, by now I would hope uh, the audience here on Trek FM would know that I am Kessel Junkie out there in the wild west of the internet. Uh, you can also find me here regularly on this network, appearing on Stage 9 with Mike Schindler, um, where we talk about you know Star Trek creators, and with, with Discovery uh, coming on the horizon, we got a lot of stuff to talk about, um, it, which has proven to be a lot of fun. And then if you transition over to the Nerd Party, uh, I'm also on a show there with Mike Schindler called Great Shot Kid, which is sort of the same thing for Star Wars creators, where we talk about inspiration and technical stuff you can find me co-hosting words with nerds with my pal craig and then amble on back over to the nerd party for a show that was spawned from the 602 club aggressive negotiations which i do with a lovely gentleman by the name of matt rushing luckily not spawned by a xenomorph that so. is that's true that would be Thank a completely God. different show yes. probably less pleasant <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. I'm on Instagram under the same name. I'm here on the network doing The Orb with Chris Jones as we talk Star Trek Deep Space Nine. You can also find me on the Nerd Party Network where I'm doing 
Owlpost with Drea Kaufman. We're talking through each and every chapter of Harry Potter, which is so much fun. So I hope that you will check that out. And then I have one more show that I do with my friend Courtney, and it is called Cinema Stories. And we we take a film and look through it with the lens of faith. And so I hope that you will check all of those out. You can find those wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you so much for joining us. Y'all come back now, you hear? Thank you.